Hello and welcome to the 12 Minutes of Workplace Health podcast. I'm Harry Bliss, CEO and co-founder of Champion Health, and today we're joined by Gethin Naden, the Chief Innovation Officer at Benefex. Gethin is not only an award-winning psychologist, he's also a best-selling author and a global speaker on all topics relating to employee experience, well-being, and benefits going forwards. Today, we're going to double down on the employee experience and the way it's going to progress over the coming years and what's happened over the previous few years as well. Welcome to the podcast, Gethin. Hello, Gethin. How are you? I am very good, thank you. How are you? I'm really well, thank you. Really well. Really looking forward to this conversation today on all things employee experience. Obviously, you've moved into a new role at Benefex as head of innovation. Can you just tell our listenership a little bit more about that role that you're you're doing at the moment? Yeah, so I guess over the last couple of years, especially, I've been spending more time with customers on wider kind of well-being strategies, um, focusing on people's reaction to the pandemic, kind of how do we better support people as a result of the pandemic and everything that's gone on. And um, and I think that led to the fact that I was I, I wanted to make sure that we were delivering products that were solving real problems for customers and that we were reacting to the kind of pretty rapid and consistent change we've seen over the last couple of years. Um, and innovation has always been core to benefits and the reason why people buy from us. And so galvanizing that role into kind of chief innovation officer was a way of um, making sure that the products we built were solving real problems to make sure that we were finding out what problems needed to be solved and that we were ahead of the market by doing so. And also to continue the great work we've done from a marketing perspective, which is to make sure that Benefex is at the forefront of all these kind of HR issues as and when they happen. Um, and certainly over the last couple of years, the feedback we've had from customers and prospects are that we are talking about things in a way that other people aren't. We are bringing things to the fore that other people aren't. We're raising these issues kind of five years before the market tends to talk about them. And I wanted to continue that. And so, um, yeah, moved into that role fairly recently to make sure we continue to do that. Congratulations on it. It sounds like a fantastic role, especially for yourself. And in terms of employee experience, that's the the specialism that, that you really have within here. How can you see it evolving and how have you seen it evolve over the last couple of years and into the next few years as well? well I think so. Back in 2016, when I wrote my book, that was my prediction that well-being was was going to become a really important part of the employee experience and and, and that would be much more valued and I even predicted that it would be part of this employee value proposition that the way an employer looks after me was going to become part of the deal it wasn't just about pay and benefits and development I wanted to work for an employer that should something terrible happen my life would be supported by my employer um what I didn't know, obviously, at the time was that a pandemic was going to come and, and accelerate those type of thoughts by probably a decade, I suspect. Um, and so we definitely see well-being as a very core to the employee experience. We surveyed all, all of our customers, prospects, and about 4,000 employees globally fairly recently, and 92% of employers said well-being is their number one priority. Um, and a huge number of employees are now saying that the way you look after your people are the reason why they'll come and look after you. And that's the number one reason, according to the research. So those predictions came true. And I think what we are now starting to witness is this dawn of kind of great expectations, as we're calling it, which is this idea that employees now expect and demand so much more from work. Employees are scrambling around to try and deliver that. And you know things like the great resignation, it won't be the first time we hear about employees are just kind of saying you know what you weren't there for me during the pandemic I'm not happy with the way you looked after me when I went through a divorce or relationship breakdown or debt or whatever it might be I'm going to go and find somebody who does care about me and I think anyone listening to this podcast will probably know a friend or somebody that's been in an environment recently where they just said 
do you know what? It's not worth it to give my time to this company. I'm going to find somebody who's going to take better care of me. And I think that was a pretty common theme throughout the whole of the pandemic. I completely agree. And hybrid working's obviously come to the forefront. And you mentioned that things have been accelerated by decades. And I'd completely agree from the last few years. Do you see the future being hybrid for those organizations that are able to work in a, in a hybrid fashion? And what are the challenges that we've got to overcome to be able to sustain healthy levels of not just productivity, but well-being as well? Yeah, I mean, it's um, for anyone who's been paying attention over the last couple of years, it was pretty obvious, I think, that hybrid was going to be the future. I mean, I've worked remotely for 10 years. So, you know, the, the situation most people found themselves in in 2020 was the life that I'd been living for quite a long time. Um, and so I know firsthand the challenges that come with hybrid working and the opportunities that come with it. Um, so I think you know, organizations that are struggling with it. There are lots of companies that have been doing this for a long, long time. Benefex has had a lot of people working from home in the office way before the pandemic. And, and lots of businesses like ours have been doing that. So I think the interesting thing is, you know, casually, if you look at most of the different studies, and I've looked at about 50 of them globally, you have probably 10 to 15% of people who say, no, I want to stay in the workplace. You've got 10 to 15% of people who absolutely want to stay at home. And then everyone in the middle wants this kind of hybrid. Um, and I think the focus for employers is there are many reasons why somebody wants to stay home and there are many reasons why somebody needs to come to the office and well-being will play a part in both of those. You know, home is not a safe space for some people. Home can be a crowded one bedroom apartment that working and living in is not healthy. So we've got to make sure that work, the workplace remains a place for those people to go. So actually that can be a safe space yeah. for them. But on the flip side of that, there are some people who, um, financially have benefited hugely from working from home. And we can't expect those people to now go back to a life where, you know, their disposable income disappears because they've got to pay commuting costs and stuff. So I think with all of that, there's this really complex mix of things we need to think about the person at the end and really empathize with why do they want to work in that fashion and how do we give them the, the support they need to do that? And how do we trust them as well? Because yeah. I think the pandemic has been an experiment in trust. Um, and so I think it's all very interesting how we all kind of deal with that moving forwards. But for that large chunk in the middle, we really need to think about what does the physical workplace offer me that I can't get at home? And that's when you start to see those themes of connection to other people, that psychological safety, time with people, that building of that community well-being. And we know that's incredibly important, not just to individual well-being, but, but organisational well-being too. I guess what are the trends that you're also seeing at the moment? And I completely agree on the on the fact that it is the largest social experiment that we've seen across the last couple of years because we were forced into it. And it seems for many organisations that it's worked. What can you see over the next few years um, go, going forwards with your with your foresight? Um, I think we're going to continue to see this this demanding employee with much higher expectations. Um, we talk about personalization quite a lot and that's been a common theme in the kind of hr industry for quite a long time but we've kind of confused choice with personalization giving people choice is not real personalization um, personalization is really understanding them as an individual what they need and understanding that that changes over time and so i think we are in this place where well-being schemes benefit schemes you know there's a big crossover between those two things diversity inclusion sustainability so I think we'll start looking at how does the employee experience support people who want to live more sustainably? How does the employee experience support fairer society? Because I think we've seen, you know, consumers making um, or lobbying um, employers to make decisions over benefits. So in the US, we saw 
you know, if you had to self-isolate during the pandemic, you need to pay people sick pay because that's not just a fair thing to do, but that's a public health risk if you don't. And so I think ESG issues have really become kind of a crossover with benefits in that way. So I think we will continue to see employers react into social influences. And I think, you know, whether that's the war in Ukraine, whether that's sustain more sustainability environmental, people are going to gravitate towards companies that support them and the life they want to lead. And so it's not just about what you offer. It's if I'm going to come and work with you, I want to know that you're supporting the causes that I'm after, that you're donating to the right people, that you're owned by the right people, uh, as I see it. And I think that will play a huge part in seeing companies change. And, you know, the events of the murder of Sarah Everard, the murder of George Floyd, you know, the pandemic itself, it surfaced a lot of these inequalities. And their last two years has been this kind of period of quiet reflection for a lot of employees, which is, do I really believe in capitalism? Do I really want to work? Do I really believe that if I work hard, I will now get successful? And so I think people are really thinking about what is work to me and what do I get out of it? Um, and I think that will continue to be a theme for the next kind of five to 10 years with some pretty big changes to follow. And do, do you think there's been a paradigm shift from the employer um, traditionally having the upper hand and to the employee and their voice being heard in a much stronger way across the next few years? Oh, 100%, 100%. So my um, my book was centred on the idea that if you want to deliver a great employee experience, you have to focus on the individual employee. You you know, and that was seven years ago that book was written. Um, if you look at the latest McKinsey data, 40% of people globally now say the employee is the largest and most important stakeholder in a business. So far and above investors and customers and shareholders. And that's never happened before. So we have this significant change in everyone in that, you know, every one of those stakeholders now says, Do you know what, I think actually employees are. And you have 94% of the top 600 investors in the US last year said, how you treat your employees is something they're going to look for before they'll even invest in you. So the money has now followed this idea. The kind of the investors are now saying, if you don't look after your people, you won't be successful as a business. So why would I invest in you unless you have a great employee experience or commitment to well-being? And again, that, I think that's huge. You know, as soon as the money starts following something, you know, it's it's probably on a successful track. I completely agree with everything that's mentioned. And you referred to ESG. Um, some people are seeing it as a buzzword. I see it as something that's absolutely vital for designing great cultures and great businesses going forwards. How do you see well-being sitting in the, the ESG? Is it in the S bracket of ESG? Where, where do you see it? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. Uh, this, is a, this is a topic of conversation I love having at the moment because for a long time, when we think about sustainability and the UN's 17 sustainability goals and ESG, we go straight to the environmental piece, which you know people like Greta Thunberg, that kind of narrative has been driven quite heavily. And that was a big feature of uh, the, the summit recently, um, the global summit on kind of sustainability and ESG but I think um, the S and the G are kind of the poor relations of that E and I think you know governance from a benefits perspective will continue to play quite a big part in organizations so you know there is a crossover there between employee benefits and well-being but the S that social side is very much you know how do we treat our people at work how are we supporting them how are we making sure that work is a positive force in people's lives um, how are we giving people the kind of development they need and from the work I've been doing, I think you can map seven of the 17 sustainability goals from the UN to how you deliver well-being at work. And so you start to see, actually, uh, am I trying to eradicate poverty? Am I trying to make financial well-being a priority? Am I making sure work is not a, a negative force in people's lives and isn't negatively affecting their mental health? Am I giving people development so they can move 
through the class system and they can move out of poverty and they can move into kind of uh, a new life and how do how does the workplace support that and i think yeah i think that bit's fascinating i think that's something we'll see certainly in the next five years organizations really get their teeth into which is how does work and business become a force for good in society for the individual and the community and i think that's that's fascinating what a great message to to end today's session on gas thank you so much for joining us today um on the 12 minutes of workplace health podcast Please, for anyone that's not following Gething on LinkedIn at the moment, please do. Um, you're one of the thought leaders that, that I look up to at the moment in the space. And thank you for, for joining us. You're very kind. Thanks for having me on. For more exclusive insights and content around workplace well-being, please subscribe to this podcast. And we look forward to seeing you on the next episode.